coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you, of course, by our great friends at Alumni Hall. Every single day, we get closer and closer to the 2023 football season, and you don't want to wait till it's too late, guys. Go ahead and pick up all your 2023 game day gear at Alumni Hall as the dogs get set to kick off the march to the three-peat, and there's no better place to do that than Alumni Hall. They have all the brands you want, all the styles you want, anything and everything you could possibly imagine to get you ready, to get you fired up for this 2023 season. Alumni Hall, they got it, man. So check them out today, either in-store, inside the Epic Spirit Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com. But as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and joining me today in what might be his last appearance here on the podcast for at least a couple of weeks. Does that sound about right, Curtis? Uh, very well, maybe, yeah, maybe next weekend, but that'd be about it. Do you want to do the honors and explain to everyone why you will be gone for at least a couple of weeks? Oh, yes. Yeah. So at the beginning of August, I will be getting married. You're dragging my butt up to Boo, North Carolina in the process. Yep. And we'll be doing that and taking a nice little break after that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm obviously very excited for you. I do. Have, I have a question for you. So it's been a long time since I got married. I vaguely remember that day. It's been what, 16 years now. But at this point, I know you've been planning and doing this and that. We were just talking before the show, some things that you've got to be doing right now. At this point, when you're like, we're like two weeks out, right? Uh, yeah, weeks? exactly. Yeah, right yeah, around like Exactly two weeks out. So two weeks out, are you more like, like, what's the ratio here between like excitement and relief that it's almost over? I'd say probably now to like, 60 40 excitement I think all the heavy lifting is done at this point so now it's like kind of flipping to where it's more excitement yeah and obviously I mean I don't mean to suggest that you're not excited you absolutely should be excited it's an incredible moment in your life but I just remember like yes I was insanely excited it was one of the best best day of my life I guess I have to say that right oh no awesome day amazing day best day of my life but I also remember just like it being done like okay it's done it's over right like like not even not like the wedding itself, but getting to that point, you know what I mean? Yeah, because it's just so much, just so many things going on, and like you're, like when you're working, you're young, and you're like getting involved in your career. It's just a lot. It's just a lot. So, I know that's probably been a headache for a little while, but hey, like the the whole reason for it, it's almost here. It's gonna be awesome. So, two weeks, man, two weeks, and you'll be gone. What honeymoon? Where are you guys on your honeymoon? Uh, Punta Cana. Punta Cana. And you're going like right after? Right? Yeah, we're gonna leave probably th- two days after. All right, man. So I guess I'll be holding down the fort for a couple of weeks, but that's all right. You'll get back just in time for like the season to start pretty much, right? Yep, pretty much. That's, you so, know, timing had to be arranged for that. Of course I do. I seriously, man, I have to, I have to give you like the biggest thank you in the history of the world. Thank you so much for not planning this during the football season, because you would have put me in a really tough spot if you would have. Oh yeah, I get it. Think I, I would have put, I, I put, put myself in a tough spot. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, dude, anniversary in the middle of the season every year, like, good luck with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I love you and I, I think I would have come, but I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I got, I got games to go to. No, yeah, I, now I we don't have to risk sure. it. Yeah, you can't risk it, right? But so I, I definitely appreciate you, man. You're the best. Thank you for doing it before the season. And it's going to be great, man. Two weeks and we'll have, we'll have a lot of fun there. But all right, so enough wedding talk. Let's get to what everyone came here to listen to today, which is, of course, some Georgia football talk. And the main focus of today's show 
is going to be ranking the 10 best players on the 2023 Georgia football team. But first, Curtis, like, I, I want to real quickly, quickly, man, before we get to the rankings, I did have my say about Georgia's turn to SEC media days earlier in the week, I guess last week. No, like, all right, inside baseball here, you guys know this. Curtis and I were supposed to do this episode, what, last Thursday, Curtis? Yep, it was last Thursday. And like 15 minutes before we were set to sit down and record, uh, we had like the tr- most insanely horrifying storm I've ever seen in my life come through Athens. Got you guys, I told you guys all about it. It got really dark. And like it was only like five minutes, but it was like vicious and crazy. And my power was out for 48 hours. And I thought maybe come back on later that night. Curse was a trooper. It was like, oh, no worries, man. I'll, I'll wait. And I was like, no, man, like it's it's probably gonna be forever. So uh yeah, I know it's like a week after or yes, week-ish after SEC Media Days now, or at least a couple of days after SEC Media Days. I've lost track of time now. So I know that you haven't had your say when it came to what went down last week at SEC Media Days, Curtis. So were there any big takeaways that you had coming out of that event at large? Like not, not even necessarily just from Georgia, but like whatever team or coach that was there? Um, I think I have two things. I'm, you know, I'm going to focus on Georgia, but I think first off is um, I was just really, uh, you know, I was happy to get the, uh, you know, Kirby Smart mantra for this new season of the Better Never Rest. You always got to love when he, he, you know, he gives them to you so you know what the talking points are going to be. He never lets you down, man. Like I, no. I, it's crazy to me his ability to just, and he doesn't come up with these. He finds them, but his ability to fight, just dig around and find these awesome mantras every single year that we all like use as our rallying cry. It's like it's unmatched. And then I think number two, and this kind of goes with the whole SEC, is like I'm so thankful Kirby Smart's our coach because you even saw it from Alabama this year. Their players up there, um, you know, talking about Georgia standards not their same level and. You know, um, talking about they're going to go undefeated, win the championship, win the Joe Moore Award, when the o- O-Lyman was there. And J.C. Talking. Latham was talking some big game, dude. And, you know, that that's out of out of the ordinary for especially Bama, but it just makes me so thankful for Kirby, um, the way he, you know, he – you know, some people may get annoyed, but I just love that he doesn't give teams sound bites. We let the other teams do the talking and piss us off like we even need a reason to even be even more angry. But I just love it because I let, I felt like all the other programs were out there doing their talking. And um, our players really just talked about the team more than anything and let everyone else do the talking. Wasn't that out of character for an Alabama team? It really was. I, I was I shocked, was, honestly. I was shocked. I mean, I don't I, it, it doesn't shock me when it's other programs, but. Coming it from, shocks me with it's Alabama and Nick Saban. Yeah, exactly. Some of those players that are that like did. Even us Tennessee, but South Carolina. But oh yeah, that, that checks out. But Alabama is like, whoa, okay. Yeah. I guess the leash has been let off. Exactly, and it just makes me thankful that we have a coach who would rather, instead of talking season, would just you know hit you know stick to the basics and be ready for the season to let that do the actual talking. Yeah, for sure. You know what it really struck me as Curtis, and maybe maybe this is just me. I don't know. I'm curious what you think here. It struck me like listening to JC Latham just throw out those soundbacks left and right. And I wrote some stuff on Dogs Daily about it. It really struck me as he was like him trying to convince himself that Alabama was still at that level. You know what I mean? It, it struck me as like fake juice. Did you get that vibe? I do, especially after last year where he took the position that Bam, you know, Saban took the position that last year or the year before when Georgia first won, it was Alabama's rebuilding year. And then after last year, they're, they're like desperate to convince themselves. Yeah, it's like that's like he was trying to like convince himself that, hey, you're like, we're, like, we're, we're still the standard, right? And it's like, I mean, 
whatever you think, man. Like, I mean, I guess back to back national championships wouldn't change your mind. If that doesn't change your mind, then nothing will, I guess. I, I don't know. But it really it kind of just struck me as that fake juice. Like he was trying to talk himself into the idea that they were still at our level, which I guess, you know, that's why we play the games. We'll see this year. But, and I, I don't know, man, that was kind of, that struck me as weak. I, I, I thought that was pretty weak on his part. I know he felt like that was big, tough guy, but I, I kind of perceived that as, him just kind of throwing some weak sauce out there. What about Brian Kelly? I think he was the first day curse. So he did you catch what he said about like comparing LSU's roster to George's roster? I did. I believe he said they're trying it. They're going to catch up, but it won't be this year. Yeah. What did you make of that? Um, like just a flat out, admi- flat out admission from a sitting SEC head coach that we played in the SEC championship game last year that they aren't as good as us. I think twofold, maybe it's a challenge to his team. And then also just being smart and not giving talking points to Georgia, who he's like hoping and plans on playing. Yeah. For, I mean, I, if I had to go one way or the other, I would lean towards that side. It's like the yeah, old you, I mean, you, like saw, the old you saw stuff. Mark Stoops take, the, I think Mark Stoops. Yeah. Take the, they asked him something about Georgia and he was like, he's I'm like, not going to no, answer that. that. Yeah. Like I'm not giving them any fuel. And so I think that that's part of it. For sure. I mean, I definitely, I would lean that way. I would definitely not go and all in and be like, hey man, we're, we're better than Georgia. Like I definitely would not do that. But I, I don't know if I've ever heard like a, a coach of, of elite. We're not talking about Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt here, Curtis. We're talking about LSU again, who was in the SEC championship game last year in year one of Brian Kelly's tenure in Baton Rouge. And he's sitting there saying like straight up. Yeah. We're not as good as them right now. Like maybe we probably will be in the future. We think we will. We're pretty sure we will be, but right now, nah, we're not there. I don't know. I, I guess like, what else is he going to say? But yeah, I mean, I, I may not have said we're not there yet. I just may have given more praise, but uh, I think there's a way you can word that a little bit differently to, to without to avoid saying like, yeah, we're not as good as George's, which is basically what he said. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if I was an LSU fan, I, I mean, I would be like, yeah, you're, you're right. But I also been like, dude, don't say that. You know, like, don't say that out loud. I mean, we don't need that. We don't need that. Uh, of course, Curtis, you know, we had a bunch of like we've had this all offseason. This is nothing new. It was just, you know, I guess very loud on uh, during SEC media days, everyone talking about our schedule because that's where everyone's attention was. was at SEC media days, everyone had their say, everyone throwing out talking point left, talking point right. But Kirby, I, I loved what he said. He was asked about the schedule and he was like, come play it. What'd you make of that? Oh, I love it. I mean, he's not backing down. Kirby really has taken more of an aggressive opinion instead of, you know, um, I thought he was a little salty in the way he came out there and I loved it. He, he was, was not man. taking crap from anyone. Well, was, you know, he didn't like directly address the AJC stuff. And, and I guess he was asked about speeding one time by, by Pat 40 and he had give a really good answer there, but Pat 40 still went and wrote some like hatchet job hit article. Of course. I mean, what, of course that's what he's going to do, but whatever. Uh, but you know, I felt like he was really pushing back on the idea that we have this like really bad culture within our program without like directly addressing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, especially when he took the position of like talking about all the retention and yeah, things continuity that we've had. retention. Yeah, he's like because I mean, that's what he was basically saying. I was like, hey, like if our, if our program and our culture was as bad as it as you say it is, and you're making it out to be, why do all these kids stay? Why do all these coaches stay? You know, like maybe yeah. let's just look beyond the beyond just the service a little bit here. But what do you make of like the idea that our like we've talked about this a little bit? I, I know I've I throw I think I did an episode about this a couple of weeks or a month or two ago, but I don't know if you've had a full say on it. What do you make of the idea in general that our schedule is like a cakewalk? I mean, first off, most teams don't. I mean, you always have tech in there. I think tech's going to be improved, so I mean, that's not going to be as bad. As I think they could be was. a bowl team this year for sure. Exactly. I mean, overall, is the schedule a little weak? Yes, let's be honest. But part you of that was taken was out of Georgia's out of out of our control. 
um, what were they supposed to do when we were forced to drop Oklahoma? Because that was going to be our marquee non-conference game. Yep. And that's and you know, that's that. that's the that's the little part of this that all the uh, all the opposing fan bases and even all the talking heads out there who just want to like get engagement, get clicks. That's the part, of course, they can very conveniently forget to mention. Yeah, every time, and it's just like, every well, time. yeah, we would have played. We would have been. It would have been like we actually would have had a tougher non-conference schedule than Bama when you throw in Tech and then going to Oklahoma instead of having Oklahoma or how they have Texas at home. Yeah. So I mean, we would have actually had one of the tougher schedules, but that was out of our control. And here's the thing, too, Curtis. Like, no one wants to mention this because it doesn't make it doesn't make their narrative right. It doesn't fit their narrative. We can't play ourselves, man. You yeah. know, like when you're the best team in the in the country, you know what? Your schedule is not going to be as tough as everyone else's who has to play you because you can't play yourself. Well, I mean, you know even I mean? that, think about, think about, you heard it all the time last year. It's like our practices were tougher than most of our games. Oh, yeah, for sure. And look, I, I've said it many times. It's not our fault that everyone else in the SEC, SEC East sucks. It's not our fault. Like you, all you Tennessee fans, you South Carolina fans, you Kentucky fans, I guess, whoever, whatever fan base out there, Florida fans, all of you ripping us for our schedule. Do you not realize that you are telling on yourself? In fact, you're ripping yourself for not being good enough and not giving us enough of a challenge. Yeah. You know what I mean, Kurt? Yeah, it, it's kind of funny when it's you ridiculous. Hear, yeah, you see it from opposing fan bases, writers, especially at that you know, this past week. And it's like, you're admitting that the team you write for that you cheer for sucks. That's exactly what they're doing. They're like, no, no, no. I mean, Georgia, Georgia's schedule is so easy. Yeah. It's easy. Cause you suck. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, it is what it is. It's not our fault that you guys can't hold up here in the bargain. I'm sorry. It's, it's not our fault. And I will, but I will say this curse. Like I will, I'm with you. Like it is by sec standards, typical sec scheduling standards. It's not an overwhelmingly difficult schedule, right? It's not. Um, there, I think there's, there's obviously been more difficult schedules. We played more difficult schedules. I think there's also been weaker schedules though. I think you look, I mean, going to Tennessee is going to be a tough football game. We all know that. Curtis, I don't think Ole Miss, like we're better than Ole Miss, but that game is, I, that is a tough game. You know, that's a team that we don't normally play that we don't have, you know, we don't have that experience playing them. Like we don't have experience like game planning for this team. It's a very different kind of team that you're having to play. And I know it's in Athens and I, and I'm very excited about the fact that it's in Athens, seeing someone new come through town. But like I, I don't like no one's looking at that game and talking about that being a game that that could be difficult for Georgia. Does that game when you look at that game, do you feel the same way? Or is that just in your mind like everyone else? Like it's just whatever. No, I think it is, especially when the fact I that think it's a tricky I, game. It is, and especially when you have Tennessee not it's yeah. right before Tennessee. Yep. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So it's like yep. I mean, you saw against Florida. I mean, Georgia got up, and I think that what happened against Florida is they started looking ahead to Tennessee and then they kind of yeah. Florida closed the gap just a little bit and we had to turn it on. I mean, we are obviously better than Ole Miss. I'm not trying to sit here and suggest that we're not. Like, we're two, three scores better than Ole Miss. Easy. But if you get caught looking ahead to Tennessee, like if Tennessee is as good as Tennessee thinks they're going to be this year and that game sets up to be for, for all the marbles in the SEC East, you could easily overlook Ole Miss. And Ole Miss, even though we are better, they are good enough to knock us off if we do not focus on that game and do not take it seriously. Now, you want to believe that Kirby Smart won't let that happen, especially at home. Of course you want to believe that. But it's also not like impossible, you know. I mean, we saw what happened in Missouri last year. We've seen these teams that aren't remotely close to us from a talent perspective find a way to push us. Now, it doesn't happen very often, but it did happen. And the way that game sets up, like, I don't think it's inconceivable to say that game could be tougher than people think. I think that's, I think Ole Miss is going to be a really good football team. Like, they just have misfortune. Like, we have, like, people want to say it's the easiest schedule in the league, and maybe it is. It's fine. I think Ole Miss might be the toughest. Like they might be a, a seven, eight win team, but they might be like a 10 win caliber team. They just happen to have this insanely difficult schedule. But like, I'm with you. I don't think it's like, it's obviously not a crazy tough schedule, but I, I don't like, 
here's what I would say. It's all relative. Like if North Carolina occurs, I'm just throwing out a random team. If North Carolina, who people are going to have as a top 25 team coming into this season, if they had the schedule that we have, would people be calling it as easy as they are right now? No, because teams like that struggle against people like App State. Exactly. Here's the thing. When like if North Carolina or whoever, whatever random team out there in the country, if Illinois or whatever had this schedule, no one would be looking at it and say, oh man, that's an easy schedule. Because it's all relative. Like when we have this schedule, it looks easy because just of how dominant we've been. Like that's that's what it comes down to. We've been so dominant. It doesn't really matter who we play, it's gonna look easy relative to everyone else in the country. You know what I mean? Because they just they don't they're not on our levels. So like, and so I I go back to the haters that are out there ripping our schedule. They're also too dumb to realize that when they are trying to insult us by ripping our schedule, they're actually complimenting us. That's really what they're doing because they're saying, wow, you were just so much better than everyone else that you play. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It is. I mean, that's kind of what they're saying. Like, there's not a game we should lose in there. Yeah, but whatever, man. Like, I, I will say, like, I don't know. We'll talk about this later as, as we get close to the season, although it's coming up really close here. Do you think, like, okay, let's say that we drop – Let's say we drop the SEC championship game, right? So we're undefeated through the regular season. We drop the SEC championship game. With the and it's not even the necessarily the schedule, yeah, sure, by SEC standards, weaker, but it's the perception. Perception becomes reality, right? Do you think if we drop the SEC championship game, even though we undefeated in the regular season, I know it's you have to think about what happens, nothing happens in a vacuum, it all happens. We have to consider what happens around the rest of the country. But if we drop whoever that game, whoever we play in the SEC championship game, if we get there, does the perception of our schedule being so weak, does that maybe make it more difficult for us to find our way into the playoffs? I think if it was Georgia of a couple of years ago, yes. But you think the back-to-back national title is kind of compensates for that? Yes, I do. What if we because... what if we drop a game to say like, I don't know, like let's say we lose to Ole Miss, all right? And they've been an eight-win Ole Miss team. And we go 11-1 the regular season and we win the SEC championship, the SEC championship game. Do we still get in? Obviously, I still think we do because I've seen it happen so many times before with some of these other conferences. I mean, maybe not. Maybe I mean, I think we would because then they're good. If we win the SEC, unless there's like four undefeated teams in the Power Five, like you have to, we have to get in. Yeah, and you'd have to. Well, and it would be hard to find all those undefeated teams with a conference champion. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the only way, I think the only way we might get left out in that scenario is like if the if the Pac-12 champion is undefeated, Big 12 champion is undefeated. Big Ten champions undefeated and ACC champions undefeated. Then we get left out, right? But yeah, I think if there's if there's one open slot, there's this, even, even though there's three undefeated teams from Power Five conferences, there's one open slot. If we're the SEC champion, even though that is with one loss in the regular season, I think we're in, right? Yeah, I agree. But what if what if we are undefeated in the regular season? Three undefeated. There's three undefeated champions from other Power Five conferences, we lose to Bama or LSU or whatever in the SEC championship game, we're out, right? It would be hard to think we're in, but... Yeah. And, and God, we're so far away from that. I don't know. This is just where my mind goes. And I know we're a month or so away from the season, but, like, I'm already thinking about these things, man. It's crazy. Anyway, we've got player rankings to do, so let's go ahead and get to that right now. And this was, for me, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, Curtis, but for me, this was almost an impossible task because it's so subjective and when you're trying to compare different players and different positions it becomes all the more difficult but for all of you listening I know just know this I know that you are going to go crazy over some of these picks and you're going to call us idiots and losers and morons imbeciles insert whatever insult you want you're probably going to call us one of those 
I know that's coming. It's inevitable, and that's okay. That's cool. Part of the fun of making lists like these is that there is so much subjectivity in it that you're never going to get 100% unanimity. It's just not going to happen. It makes for great debate. So we welcome you to disagree with us. That's totally cool. But before you do that, let's first just make sure you know exactly what our task was here. This is not a list of the 10 most accomplished players on the team or even the 10 best players on the team to this point in their careers. This is a projective list. When Curtis and I sat down to make our list, our goal was to project forward to the end of this season and rank who we believe will be the 10 best players by the end of the season. We're very much projecting here. Now, the obvious question is, well, why did you do it that way? That's kind of weird. Well, yeah, I get it, but we thought it'd be fun. Really, that's what it comes down to. We thought it would be cool. We thought it would be different, just a different way to approach it. And, and after all, the past two years have been great and all, but right now we are far more worried about the coming season, like what's ahead of us in 2023. And I want to kind of just have some fun with this and look ahead to, okay, the end of the season, who do we project are going to be the 10 best players on this team when the season's all said and done. So that's the what. Here's the how, how we put this list together. So it's pretty simple. Curtis and I, we each made our own list independent of each other. So I had my list of my top 10 guys and Curtis had his list of his top 10 guys. I didn't look at his list. He didn't look at my list until both lists were made. We didn't even discuss it all at all. We just said, okay, here's the task, make our list. Really, we were just trying to protect the integrity of the process. Like, I mean, this, this is serious stuff, guys. Got to protect the integrity of the process here. But once each of our respective lists were made, we assigned point values to each slot in descending order. So, for example, whoever I had number one on my list got 10 points. There's 10 slots. Number one on my list, that's the guy I have rated as highest. He gets 10 points, right? Whoever I had number two, he got nine points. Number three got eight points and on down the line. And we did that for my list and Curtis's list. Then we added up the point totals for each player and compiled a unified joint glory UGA list of the top 10 players on the Georgia football team. And the results were interesting to say the least. We'll get to that here in just a few minutes. So there were multiple players that either I had on my list that Curtis didn't have at all on his and vice versa. So for those players that I had on my list and Curtis didn't or he had on his list and I didn't have them on mine, even if they had a higher point total than some other guys that we both had like low on our list, we ranked them behind those guys that we both had somewhere on our list because we just felt that was the right way to go about it. For example, let's say that Curtis and I both had I don't know, let's say Malachi Starks on our list, but we both had him pretty low in our top 10. So maybe at a point total of like four or five. But let's say I had Nazir Stackhouse inside my top five while Curtis didn't have him ranked at all. So that would have given him like five or six points there. So in that case, even though Nas technically would have had more points than Starks because I had him ranked higher, we would have put Malachi ahead of Stackhouse because we both had Starks on our list. I hope that kind of makes sense. I know that's a lot of words, but I think it makes sense. But okay, enough explanation here. Let's go ahead. Let's get to the good stuff. And we're going to start the bottom and work our way up. And coming in at number 10 on our list of the top 10 players on the Georgia 2023 football team is cornerback Kamari Lassiter. And Curtis, this is one that you and I saw a little bit differently. We weren't that dramatically apart here, but we saw a little bit differently. You had him at number seven on your list, Curtis. I did not have Kamari on my list at all. 
He's definitely a guy I considered having my list. I went back and forth, different iterations of this list. He was on it. He wasn't on it. Ultimately, he was left off the list. But he comes in number 10 on our joint unified list. So since you did have him ranked on your actual list, Curtis, at number seven, I'm going to go ahead and put this question to you. Why will Kamari Lasseter be one of the 10 best players on this team? Well, first, I think it's because you look at the fact that he's going to be probably our best corner. Um, He was last year, and I think he will be again this year. And so let's be honest, if you're going to be the best corner on our defense, then you are probably going to be one of the best players on this team because that's one position we are just overly stacked at. You would like to think so. And like, you're not, I'm not saying you're wrong in this course. I, he absolutely could be a top 10 player on this team by the end of the season, which is what we're doing here. By the end of the season, who's going to be the top 10, who are going to be the top 10 players on our team? You could absolutely be right here. I could be wrong. And again, I'm, I'm not going to argue much with you because I had him on my list at one point and then ultimately like just left him off. But I look at Kamari and I agree with you. We've talked about this many times. He was by the end of last year, our best corner, our best true corner. All right. Totally agree with that. But does that mean like he was an elite corner himself? I I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it's my my counter to that is I think he is elite because teams were afraid to attack him. I think he he has the potential to be elite. I don't know if he was elite last year. All right, that's I I could see that. I mean, I still well, think I guess that's what we're doing. We're trying to we're trying to project forward. So like yeah, and I think yeah. that, that what we've seen from him is someone who has shown growth and gotten better every opportunity. Absolutely, and last year was his first year as a starter. You know, so. There's that. And I, and I do think that he absolutely improved as the season went on. Like he was, he wasn't, he was never bad. He wasn't, I'm not saying he was bad. Kamari was good for us last year. I just don't think he was an elite cover guy in his first year as a starter. And could he grow into that this year? Absolutely. I'm not going to discount that all. And I, I think he probably will. But when you look at his grades from last year, Curse, and look, pro football focus, like, you know, take it with a grain of salt, man. It is what it mm-hmm. is. Like, I, I, I use them sometimes to throw out some numbers here because it gives you some illustrations on where guys were, but I think they're like very, they're not very transparent with how they do their rankings. I know they, they are how they do their grades. They grade every player, allegedly grade every player on a scale from minus two to positive two on every single play. But what gets you a minus two or gets you a one or a two? Like they, they don't tell you, they have no idea. It's whatever. So you know, take it for what it's worth, but according to pro football focuses, Grades last year, he had a 73 overall grade and a 71.1 coverage grade, which are fine, solid, right? And the the reason I'm using them with Kamari is because, like, it kind of backs up what I saw from him last year. I, I'll lean more into the pro football focus grades when it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's kind of matches with what I saw last year with my own two eyes. But he was really good at run support, which is, like, uh, you can't discount that. He was awesome in run support. But, Curtis, there were 16 corners in the SEC last year that graded out higher than him. Again, that was his first year starting, and I do think he got better as the season went on. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, it does give me hope for him this season to be one of our top ten players, and I think that he absolutely could be. I just, you know, I was making this list. I just felt that there were t- there were ten other guys that I would put above him right now. But I'm not going to argue that too much because I, I don't think it's a crazy thing to have him on your list at all. Not at all. Uh, all right, let's go on to the next guy, number nine. Now, Curtis, you and I were like in different solar systems on this one, and I think I'm the crazy one here. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say I own it. I think I'm the crazy one. Coming in at number nine is quarterback Carson Beck. I had him at number three on my list, Curtis. <laughs> you had him nowhere. He was not ranked on your list. So this is like, I think this is, by far our biggest divergence. I th- actually, I think this one and the next one were like almost exactly equals in terms of like how far off we were. So we were just like, again, not even in the same solar system here, Kurt. So I 
think Carson's going to have a big time year. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I'm going to let you have your say here first. Why no love for Carson Beck? Um, it's just hard to see him being the 10 best player because the different, I'm just, it's extremely projective. I understand. Exactly. And I kind of need to see how they're going to use him because is he just going to be a true pocket passer, which I think would maybe be a reason I wouldn't have him in the top 10. I mean, that's pretty much his game. He's, he's not a stash. He can, he can roll the pocket, but he's not, he's not extensive mobile. He's not. He's not. And I think that's why I don't have him in there. Cause I think you kind of need to be a complete package to be at that level. Because I think if, I know this sounds weird because they'll be putting up crazy yards, but look at Kyle Trask. Um, You know, to me, I use him as my example is he had a great year that year, but a lot of it was built on all the other great players around him, especially on the the same thing for us with Brock and you got lad coming back. You got, and and that's why I'm taking that. I I kind of take that view is, you know, if he got all these yards and things, I think people and the whole, idea would be more of he's just getting the ball in the playmaker's hands which still takes talent but i still think that you have to look at the the guys who are going to be making the plays yeah i mean you're making some good points i mean again i'm not going to go like i think i'm the crazy one i will readily admit that i know this is like being this is like ultra aggressive on my part but i look at carson beckers and i do agree with you like my one big concern with carson is the mobility thing and again i don't think he's a statue i think he moves far better than people think he does he's a good athlete he was a big time baseball player growing up he really didn't start playing football really, really full time like his junior year of high school big time baseball player so this guy is an athlete can move he's not stetson mobile like there were some plays that stetson was able to make for us last year in big time moments like the first touchdown touchdown against tennessee i was rewatching that game last night getting ready for the scout on the enemy episode and that play he made where like, after the play like you know does the whole phone thing like call me Carson doesn't make that play. I no. mean, that, that's that's a sack. I mean, that, that, that's just what it is. And that in that in that game in that moment right there. So like that that is something that is a concern for me because I am a big believer now. You have to be like you don't have to be like Lamar Jackson back there, but like you need like you need mobility. Like you need to be able to create plays with your legs. You need to be able to scramble, pick up first downs. And I think Carson's an, a good athlete. I don't know if he's that kind of athlete right now. So that is my big concern. I will definitely grant you that. But Curtis, like as a passer, I think he's got the goods, man. Oh, I, I agree with that. I, no, I I don't argue with that at all. Yeah, I I, so I don't know. Like, and I think with the weapons around him. So here's something. Go back to Pro Football Focus's numbers. Like, you know, again, take it for what it's worth, whatever. But he had a 74.2 overall grade last year. I know this is extraordinarily limited sample size. Now, 74.2 overall grade, not great, right? Like, solid, it's fine. You know, pretty average. But the reason, if you look at it a little bit more closely, the reason his grade was all the way down at 74.2 is because of a 40.4 rush grade that completely devastated his overall grade. His passing numbers, Curtis, were top three in the entire in the entire conference, okay? Like his passing grade was a top three. I know it's very limited sample size, only 89 offensive snaps, 39 of those were passing snaps, okay? But if you ignore the snap minimums, he had the third highest passing grade in the SEC last season behind two guys, Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett. One was the number one overall draft pick, Stetson Bennett, who in my opinion is going to be a starter for the for the uh, Los Angeles Rams NFL within a couple of seasons, all right? He was ahead of Jane Daniels, Hendon Hooker, Spencer Rattler, Will Levis, KJ Jefferson, Will Rogers, all those guys. Now, yes, those guys threw a lot more p- passes, much larger sample size than them, so you have to factor that in, of course. But when he got opportunities to throw the football, Curtis, he did it at an elite rate, all right? An elite rate. And he, when he was out there, he wasn't like 
he was not working with our top weapons. I never want to, want to point out all, all the rivals out there want to point out and say, well, that was garbage time. He was thrown against like, you know, second team defenses. It, that was first off, not always true. A lot of those teams had some first, first, first team guys still in there, but he was also throwing to second and third team guys himself. All right. So you got to factor that in there. And, and when I look at Carson, I see a guy going to year four in our system. And yes, I know Mike Bobo is new offensive coordinator, but still like it's very much our system, guys. Bobo put his wrinkles in there. Lingo is the same, very much a very similar system to what we've been running under Todd Munkin. And if you don't want to say it is, it's year four in, in college, which means he's got all those reps, all those reps watching tape, learning to recover, just all those things. He got that experience last year, and he has some ridiculous weapons to work with. Curse Brock Bowers is maybe like he might go down as the best tight end in the history of college football. And he's got that dude to work with. You've got Dominic Lovett coming over. His proven production in the SEC. Lab McConkey, one of the most underrated players in the SEC the past five or six years. Dude's freaking awesome. All that does, all that guy does, is go out and make plays. You've got Arian Smith, who showed signs of finally coming on as a full-time wide receiver towards the end of last year. We know what that guy can do. You get the best offensive line in the country, at least one of the two best offensive line in the country. Maybe we'll finally win the Joe Moore Award this year. So when you look at what he was able to do, and yes, a very limited limited sample size, his experience in college, in our system, and all those weapons to work with, I don't know how, how Carson's not going to be good. You know, here's what I, 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 maybe I'm overreaching here. Like maybe I am reaching with this curse, but here's, I guess, my final thing on Carson. I think his floor is extraordinarily high. His ceiling remains to be seen, but if you factor in experience, years in the system, going through all those those years, watching tape with all these big time quarterbacks, all the players around him, I think he has an extremely high floor. I personally think he has a high ceiling based on what I've seen from him and based on what the numbers tell me. But that does remain to be seen. So I have him all the way at number three. I'm I'm choosing to believe in Carson. You're choosing to be a hater. It's fine. You just have to eat your crow at the end of the year, Curtis. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. Just kidding. All right. Any any last words on Beck? No, I think we got it well. That right. I, yeah. yeah, let's move on to number eight. Now, this is another one that we were just like solar systems apart, man. But it was like the inverse this year, okay? Coming at number eight is center Cedric Van Pran. You, Curtis, just like I had Carson Beck at number three, you had Cedric Van Pran at number three on your list. I did not have Cedric Van Pran on my top ten list. So I know I'm going to get killed for this because I know I am like, I am way off the norm here. So Kurt, tell me though, why is Cedric Van Pran going to be a top three player on this team? Here's my thing. He may not be the highest drafted lineman on this team, but outside of Mims and Tate Ratledge, who I, I still think that could go either way outside of those guys. I mean, he's the best offensive lineman on this team. And I think I take into account, I'm giving him a little bit extra just because of the, the value he brings as a leader. The leadership component is, is because that's, that's what I'm going to try. You know, I think that's what catapulted him up is kind of like, did you because factor that kind I, of stuff into Nicobe Dean? Nicobe Dean was really, really good. He won the Buckus Award. Um, but there were a lot of guys better than him. In Mike my Way was better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he just was. People don't want to admit that, but like he was. That's why he was a first round draft pick. But I but you think of the leadership ability, which That's is the true, one thing man. that you just it's hard to magnify value. that value. That's a great point, man. That's hard. It's really hard to argue that because like this dude is like one of the most legitimate leaders we've ever had. And we've had some good ones, man, but this guy is obviously right up there coming back this year. I'm not going to like kill you for this curse. I'm not. Cause like, you're again, this, you're probably right here. I'm I'm probably the idiot once again, but this is a guy I did. I will say I did consider him 
strongly. And I, he's another guy that with my different iterations of this list, he was on my list, off my list, on my list, off my list, ultimately end up off my list. Okay. So I don't think you're crazy at all whatsoever. Ultimately, I went with Tate Ratledge over Cedric Van Pran on my list personally. And I thought about that long and hard. I went back and forth between those two. It's, like, it's close. Like, you can go either way. That's why I'm not going to argue too much. I'm just going to try to make my point why he was off my list because I know people are probably sitting there shaking their heads like, what are you talking about, you idiot? Well, just let me explain. Let me explain. Okay. So Cedric was awesome last year. He was really good. Okay. He did a lot of good things for us. But I think his hype has gotten a little out of control coming into this year. And that's fine. Like, I don't, I don't begrudge a guy that again, he's an awesome guy. So I'm rooting for him so hard, man. Like he's a great, fantastic young man. Um, he went to my wife's, you know, my wife's a teacher here in Athens, went to her school, read to her kids, just an incredible guy. So love him. But I don't think his production last year met the hype around him coming this season. If you really watched him down in and down out, I don't think his production on the field last year fully meets the hype that he has coming this season. That, that's just my take on it. Curse, I'll say this, like, there's a reason he did not go pro last year. It wasn't just because he loves the University of Georgia. Yeah, like, and I think that's too. I think that's something that's being a little oversold. To, and I think that's a great point for you to bring yeah. up. Yes, I think the love of Georgia did help, but it was for sure. It, but I don't think that was everything. Yeah, like it's it's a great place to come back to if you don't like your NFL draft stock, right? But if he would have been told, "Hey, you're gonna be a first round draft pick," he's not coming back to Georgia. Like it's if he was told he's gonna be a second round draft pick, he's not coming back to Georgia. That's not what that's not how these things work anymore, guys. Like it's very rare somebody comes back just because they love the university and they love their teammates that much. I'm not saying it's impossible, but like uh, that's usually not the, the driving factor. I would say maybe for Nick Chubb, that was kind of a factor for him. Although, like, you know, in, in 2016, he wasn't Nick Chubb, you know. Like if Nick Chubb never had the, the knee injury, does he stay and come back for 2017 just because he loves Georgia and loves his teammates? Probably not. I don't know that he does. I don't know. So I just think, like, to me, there's a reason he did not go pro last year. And if I'm going to go back to pro football focus, again, take it for what it's worth. His overall grade last year, Curtis, on pro football focus was 69, okay? Now, maybe there's a, a big margin for error there, but still 69. I was going to say, they, I, I, we got, especially when it comes to the line of scrimmage, we got to preface. It's tough. I'm pretty I agree. sure. I agree. I'm pretty sure pro football was a big jock rider of Michigan. I, I totally do. I totally, I, I, I cringe a little bit when I throw up pro football focus grades because like, again, like there's just, there's no transparency there, but again, I lean back, like, even though I don't always necessarily think it's like the most accurate thing in the world, when it kind of backs up what I've seen with my own two eyes, I tend to put a little bit more credence in and maybe that's confirmation bias. Like I'll, I'll own that. Okay. <laughs> but I, I do think like you should always be skeptical of those grades. Always. Like as a rule of thumb, always be skeptical. I always am too. But again, I try, I tend to put a little bit more stock on them in them when I see when they kind of back up what I see on the field, but Cedric's awesome. He's a good player. He's a really good player. I think he's better than 69 grade. I, I would have graded him out. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I think he's, I don't know what the numbers is. That's just be arbitrary, but he was better than that in my opinion. But I do think there were some issues with his production last year. He had trouble staying on blocks consistently. He would spend too much time on the ground. Right? Remember Solomon Kinley, Curtis, your favorite guy back in the day? Yeah, or Justin Or Justin Schaefer flopping around like a fish out there, like a dead fish, as you like to used to say. I'm not saying Cedric was that last year. He spent way too much time on the ground, all right? Yeah, I think I, he did He did get bailed out a lot by Tate. Yeah, he did. Especially later in was, the season. Yeah, I mean, Tate got in. Like, Tate wasn't – his numbers weren't great either, but Tate was also like – First year as a starter. Once Tate got healthy, you could tell a difference of when he fully got healthy, yeah. though. Halfway through the year, Tate turned it on. He was a different guy. The first part of the year, Ratledge was like, I would not have had it on my list. But the second part of the year, I was like, okay, yeah, this now I see why people were saying he was the best lineman we had coming into the 2021 season. First part of the year, he's working off of me. Liz Frank injury, man, like a big old lineman. Like, that's tough. Those foot injuries like that. 
especially conditioning wise, because that's what we always thought was his problem at first. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I look at Cedric and I think he had trouble staying on blocks. I also think he was really inconsistent working up to the second level. Uh, There are a a number, I mean, so many, there's a multitude of plays. It wasn't just him. Like this was a, that was an issue for our line in general, but I think he was a big culprit in it. There were a number of plays where if our linemen can work up the second level a little faster, a little bit more effectively, we had big plays in the run game that never, that never quite, there were good plays like five, six yard gains. And so no one's upset about it, but instead of five, six yard gains, they could have been like 60 yard gains. If we just work up the second level a little faster and get, get that linebacker. Cedric had trouble with that at times last year. I thought he did fine occasionally, but he was inconsistent, in my opinion, working up to the second level. I thought he was good in pass pro, um, but I generally speaking, he was good in pass pro. I think he struggled a fair amount, though, handling or handing off and like picking up stunts. And then those that's tough. Like that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, I, I couldn't do it. So, I mean, I'm, who am I to say? But, you know, I, I hold Cedric to a high standard. Like if we're talking about this guy, people talk about him as like the best center in the country this year. And I think he could be that. I really do think he could be, but he wasn't that guy all last year. He just wasn't. And I think Ratledge, you know, again, going back to that, he wasn't without his issues either. But again, he was coming off a major foot injury that still lingered in the early parts of the season. Um, his, I think he, his overall level was pretty similar to, to what we saw from Cedric. That was first year as a starter, again, coming off a major injury while Cedric was in his second year, second four years as a starter. So I don't know. I, I think... Cedric has a chance to be the best center in the country or one of the best centers in the country, maybe work himself into a first, second round draft pick. Maybe I need to see that though. First curse. And it's, again, it's not that I think Cedric's a, a bad player. I think he's a good player, but we have a lot of talented players in our team. And I just felt like there were 10 players that were better than him last year. And, and I think in 10 players, I think have a chance to be better than him at the end of this year. That's just kind of my, my last thing on Cedric. All right. You ready to move on? Oh yeah. All right. Let's go to number seven here. You and I were pretty much in agreement here. Coming at number seven is, Sophomore safety Malachi Starks. I had him at number 10 on my list, so at the tail end there, you had him pretty low as well at number eight, but he was on both of our lists. So what was this ranking based on for you, Curtis? Um, you know, this crazy thing is I actually see him as a higher ranked player, but it's hard to truly grasp how good he is going to be. Um, but when you just look at the impact plays he made as a freshman, and yeah, he made some mistakes, especially later in the year with some of these coverage breakdowns. But he was someone that still got better and still made a lot of those big plays where you're like, okay, wow. Or I think that's what I say. He made a lot of wow plays, which you think the more he grows, the better he gets, the more he's going to make those. Yes. So here's my thing with Malachi. The dude's supremely talented. I, I'm so happy he's on our team. I, I'm a big fan of the guy. He's an awesome young man, a lot like Cedric. Comes from a great family out of Jefferson. So I'm rooting hard for the guy. And look, he was a true freshman last year. Anyone playing as a true freshman in the SEC for a national and championship team, you're pretty freaking good. Okay. You're pretty freaking good. Now you're right. He had some, he had some mistakes at times that, that hurt him and hurt us. And there's a couple plays in the SEC championship game against LSU that, that cost us there. He got lost at times in coverage, but again, true freshman mistakes will be made, but you clearly saw the upside, the ceiling, the potential in this guy, his physical ability all season long. I thought he did it like if you look at his pro football focus grade, his run defense grade was only 72. I would strongly disagree with that. I felt he was really, really good against the run. I thought he was a really strong tackler. His pass grade, grade was 64.8, which that kind of checks out. You know what I mean, Kurt? Like that's yeah, sounds about right. But his run grade only 72. Like I did like I need to check some math there because that, that does not seem right based off what I I mean. I, I've watched all these games so many times. I mean, again, I was just watching Tennessee game last last night and for like the 15th time. 
And this dude just coming up from the from the third level, making plays against guys in like electric athletes in space with no problem. So I don't know, man. I don't know if I, I have an issue with that one, but I do think there's a little bit of this with Malachi. All right. So he's very talented, obviously. But I think, you know, some of the expectations from coming to this season, I think it's kind of a case of a very highly touted recruit who made a spectacular play early in the season last year on pure athletic ability against Oregon, the interception that drove people wild. And I think it's in, in those kind of things are kind of somewhat skewing the perception of how he actually played for large parts of, the, of last season. Again, I think he was better as a tackler than, than profile focus wants to give him credit for, but pass coverage was a, was a, was a problem for him. He had some high profile picks some big time plays, but he was lost back there at times. Um, and needs to just shore up on, on, on his coverage skills in general and just the technique and being able to drive on the ball, all those kind of things. But the talent is obvious. And that's why he made my list. True freshman. I thought he played really well for a true freshman in the SEC in big time situations. And uh, I think the talent that he has, the the physical ability is going to allow him to finish inside the top 10 our, once we get into the season as one of our top 10 players in this on this team. All right, Kurt, let's move on to number six here. Let's stay in the defensive backfield. This is another guy that we both had on our list in different spots, but he was on both of our list. And that is, I guess, now safety, Javon Bullard. So I had him at number six on my list. You had him at number 10. So this is a guy that I was a little bit higher on than you were. So I, I honestly, Chris, I was a little surprised to see Javon that low on your list. So what was your thinking there? Um, Because his, his struggles in coverage. It's, a, it's just like, but doesn't everyone struggle more from the slot DB position? Because you, you can't press him back the line of scrimmage. I mean, they do, but I still don't believe that coverage is going to be his strong suit. Yeah. I thought he was fairly strong. I mean, I, okay. It's all relative compared to guys that we've had at that position in the past. Like, I don't know, Mark Webb, um, guys like that, who great guy. Uh, I felt he was better than those guys in coverage, but I will agree that he probably wasn't an elite cover guy from that spot. But I do think it's a really tough position to actually cover guys as they get that, that free release of the line of scrimmage or run a bunch of RPOs and you just try to make a play on the ball. It's tough though. If the quarterback throws with some accuracy, do you thought, do you like him at safety? I think I like him at safety more than in the slot. Yeah. I think it's a more natural position for him. And that's honestly why I had him higher on my list. Like he's another guy like Malik. I think like um, maybe some high profile plays and high profile performances in the, in the playoffs. I mean, he won the defense MVP in both the playoff games. I think that might skew to some degree how he played for the full season. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does, especially the way he played in the championship game. Yeah, but he dude, he was so he was elite as a run defender, elite. And that, I do like, agree with that. That the, that's the two things I had that had him at number six for me on borderline top five. Elite run defender, like small guy, but was showed no fear. Would get in the box and take dudes on again. Watching Tennessee game last night. You know, we were playing with six, like even numbers in the box, and he would come in there flying in there and make big time plays in space. Just an, an absolutely fantastic run defender from that star position, which is a critical position in our defense. I do agree that coverage at times left things to be desired, but the rush, his rush defense or his ability to defend against the run, and the fact that I think he's moving to more natural position for him at safety this year, those two things are combining to have him right up there, borderline top five for me. Now, here's the thing about Javon Kurtz I love. I think he has that dog in him, man. I think he does. And that dude is never going to be outworked. I mean, Kirby was talking about him at SEC Media Days, and that's not the first time Kirby's ever said those kind of things about him. But when you have a dude like that, that just works like he does, 
I think he has an extraordinarily high floor. The ceiling, is he going to be a first-round draft pick? I think he's got a shot. I wouldn't say it's a done deal, but I mean, he doesn't have the ceiling of some of the other DBs on our team. But the the way that this guy works, again, he has that dog in him. I think that gives him a chance to be a, one of our top 10 players in, in, on this team, for sure. Uh, all right, let's move on to the top five here, Curtis. Coming at number five, and I don't know if this is too low or not, man. I don't know. Coming at number five is wide receiver Lad McConkey. You were actually a little higher on Lad than I was, Curtis, and I love Lad. I just, I, you know, didn't have him quite as high. We were close. You had him at number five on your list. I have him at number seven on my list, so not that far apart. Pretty close there. Um, I have no issue with you, with you having him inside the top five, Curtis. Explain that to me. Why was Lad inside your top five? Um, I just think that his his value. I mean, right. I love it's going to be a big weapon, but I think he's probably one of our best big play weapons. But also, just outside of the, t- the little stretch he had where he had trouble, he's been a very sure-handed receiver and made plays, especially like when we were. You think back to Auburn two years ago, where we had just him and Ad Mitchell. The guy always makes plays, and and it's just, it's both in the run game and in the pass game. You can use him, so I think his versatility and his value. Um, makes him so valuable to us and on top of the ability just like to be able to be a factor in the pass game and the run game it's also where you can be a factor in the passing this guy can play inside he can play outside he can play wherever you want him to play i mean this guy you're right the versatility he is so valuable to this team and i think he is so and i said this earlier so insanely underrated i really do curse like is there a world where lad is actually the best receiver on our team yeah there is like, I don't think that's like, I, I mean, I think the, the right answer is probably Dominic Lovett, but it also would not shock me at all if Lad put up better numbers this year. It wouldn't shock me because this dude's just a player, man. Like, he's this dude that plays with a chip on his shoulder. He's still the little nobody from North Murray High School that no one was paying attention to. And he plays with that chip on his shoulder. Like, you know, it never ceases to amaze me. Like, you know, Stetson got all the love for like the former walk on, right? And get this great story, this picture book story. Like, they're going to make a motion, major motion picture about uh, out of this guy and his story eventually one day. Although he did everything in his, in his, <laughs> in his power to, to kind of run Disney off of that yeah, with how he kind of handled things in the pre draft process last year. But Lad never gets that kind of love. You get that vibe, Curtis? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and he wasn't well, because a it's because he especially he's at a position where you have such flashy guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. and some of these other guys that are just big name thousand yard receivers, which he hasn't been. Yeah, and look, and Lad wasn't a walk on, and he also didn't like he had more immediate success than Stetson did. Like Stetson had the story where he was like the the scout team legend in 2017, and then goes to JUCO, then comes back to Athens on with a late scholarship after he, after he was set to go to Louisiana and play with Billy Napier. Comes to Athens, was an afterthought, and then he gets in the game against Arkansas in 2020, and he leads us to a victory there, and then he wins a couple more SEC games. Everyone's clamoring for JT Daniels because we lose to Alabama, and we think the ceiling is for the team is limited with Stetson at quarterback. He gets benched and then comes into 2021. No one's even remotely talking about him. Kirby openly says that Carson Beck's the backup quarterback. And then when JT goes down, then you got Stetson Bennett coming in. Everyone's freaking out and saying, oh my God, Kirby, what are you doing? You've lost your mind. I hate you. You suck. And then Stetson proceeds and promptly goes and wins back-to-back national titles and establishes himself as the greatest quarterback in Georgia football history. So the story is crazy. It's insane. Ladd doesn't have that kind of story, but there are similarities in that nobody believed in Lad McConkey coming to high school. Like nobody was talking about this guy. Nobody was recruiting him. Kirby and staff with their great evaluation abilities offer this guy late. 
And, you know, you and I were like, yeah, this guy's gonna be a pretty good player. But I think most guys, most people out there are like, who, what, huh? And all he's done is go out and be one of the better players in the entire SEC. Like, he's been awesome. He's been unbelievable for us. I think, I mean, and people, I think he's a good player, but I don't think people truly realize how good Lad is. I think they look at him and say, oh, yeah, he's that good little player from Georgia, you know, saw a little guy. Like, no, like, Lad is a legit, awesome college ball player. And so, like, I, I'm actually mad at myself having him number seven. Like, I look at him, I'm like, dang, man, number seven, Tyler, you're an idiot. What are you doing? But, and I'll read my, my full list out here uh, at the end of the show. I'll let you read your list, Curtis. I'll read my list, but this is our combined list. Um, but yeah, I kind of mad at myself having number seven. I think you're probably right here with this one, Curtis. But Lad's just valuable, man. And I, again, like, I'm, I would probably, I would put my money on Dominic Lovett being our leading receiver this year in terms of like receivers, not talking about tight ends because we know Brock's going do his thing. But Lad's got a shot, man. It would not shock me at all if Lad is that guy at receiver for us this year. All right, Kurt, let's go to number four here. Now, this guy I have extremely high hopes on, high hopes for this year. You and I were of the very similar mind on him. Number four is defensive lineman Michael Williams. I have at number five on my list. You had number six on yours, Kurt. Very similar there. And this is one that, honestly, man, I might actually argue against myself because this is 100% projective, right? But before I throw my my thoughts out there, I'm very curious about your thoughts on Michael. So solid freshman season, 71 grade, did lead the team in sacks a year ago. That was only four and a half sacks, but he was a freshman. But Curtis, in your mind, what gives him a chance to be a top five player on this team by the end of this season? I think I, I think that he's going to be our our major pass rush option for most of the season. And if it's not him, I don't know who the hell it's going to be. Yeah, outside him, Marvin Jones Jr., but, I mean, they both have hit or coming like, off. Those guys, this, we hope. We have no evidence those guys can do it. We think, exactly. we hope. And I think Michael flashed the most last year, which is why we kind of have him up there. He won He won a number of battles. It's a first-round draft pick at tackle, at left tackle. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at Michael Williams, he's not your traditional five-tech at Georgia. I think – Trevon Walker really changed things. The five tickets before it was like, you know, it was Jonathan Ledbetter, right? Like that kind of guy. And Led was awesome, but he wasn't that dominant pass rush. You know what I mean? Didn't have that kind of athleticism. Uh, whereas Walker, obviously different animal, first overall pick in the NFL draft. Michael Williams is far more in that vein. I think he has legitimate pass rush ability. I think like Curtis, like really, if, if we played a four, three, he's a, and we play, he was like a true four, three defensive end. I mean, he could easily play that, play that position, right? Yeah, there'd be no questions. Yeah, classic 4-3 defensive in 100%. But in our defense, he's a 5-tech. Now, we play a lot of – we play more even-man fronts. We can do odd-man fronts really these days anyway. So he kind of operates as that kind of like true 4-3 defensive in, in in a lot of situations. But I, I agree with you. I think we saw enough from him last year. We saw the physical ability. We saw the explosiveness off the ball. And I also think that Michael was – as far as freshmen go – I thought he was a fairly polished freshman in terms of like his pass rush moves, his ability to use his hands. A lot of times these guys come out of high school, these big defensive linemen, and they just dominate on pure power, sheer size and power in high school, and they're not that technically advanced. I felt Michael was ahead of the game from a technical standpoint last year relative to most other guys his size coming into the into the college game. So I was impressed by that. Again, he did leave the team with sacks this year, four and a half. Now we weren't a dominant pass rushing team, but he was the best pass rusher that we had on a team that did struggle at times to rush the pass with a natural pass rush. But I agree with you. I think he's going to be our best natural pass rusher this year. I'm very excited to see the different ways that we kind of scheme things up to get him some of those opportunities to rush the passer like that. 
And I think that Mike Hill is going to have a massive sophomore year. Let's not forget, Curtis. Remember how people were, how the coaching staff and his teammates were talking about him this time last year? Do you remember that? I do, yes. About how this guy works. And to me, I always say this. When you have, when you match elite physical ability, which he has, with elite work habits, that's when you get greatness. Now, is Michael Williams going to be great this year? That remains to be seen. I think at some point before he leaves Georgia, he will be great, and I'm putting my money on it being this season. All right, Curtis, let's move into the top three. We got three guys left here. Now, this is where like we're almost identical on these three guys here, Curtis. But at number three, we have a guy that not a lot of Georgia fans have seen all that much of because he's new to the team. We have wide receiver Dominic Lovett transferring over from Missouri. We both had him at number four in our list. Add the numbers up. That meant he's number three on our combined list. I know you're like, how does that work? Trust me. It just works out that way. But this is a guy that you knew about if you pay attention to SEC football like outside of Georgia. So there are a lot of you that listen to this show. I know who you guys are. You're diehard. You know this guy, right? But there might be some fans out there that are not as familiar with Dominic Lovett, Curtis. So, when you're talking about this guy coming over from Missouri, what does he bring to this 2023 Georgia football team? Um, I just think he brings just so much versatility. I, I don't know. I mean, they may tr- try to use him in the run game, but I just think in the past game that you can kind of use him anywhere. Um, and he has that explosiveness and shiftiness that we really haven't had. Um, you know, I've talked about it previously, but since Isaiah McKenzie days, and I think that we know yeah. – or we've seen what that can be done. I know it's a different offense, but I think that just that weapon of what they can do is very encouraging. Do you see him more as a fit in the slot or is he going to also play outside some? I think he's better suited for the slot than on the outside compared to where Ladd can do both. I don't know if Lovett could shine on the outside like Ladd can. Yeah, I I mean, I look, I think Lovett can play outside. I think he play X. I think he potentially play Z. Now, is that where he fits best? No, it's not. Uh, he's more of a slot guy. And I think that's where he's going to have his biggest impact on our team. But I do think you can move around a little bit to try to create matchups. And that's what you have to be able to do. Like you have to be able to move guys around to create matchups. That's, that was one of my things with George Pickens for his first couple of years. If you guys remember me talking about that, you know, George should basically play one position because that's all he could, ma- like, it's all he knew at that time. Like he just wasn't ready to like learn more than one position. And that kind of limited to some of the things that we could do with him because you couldn't move around as much and create matchups. Now, I was hopeful in year three, we started we started to see some more signs that towards the end of his second year. I was hopeful coming into 2020, uh, 2021, that he would be able to, to do that. I felt that he would, but obviously we know it wasn't to be with the knee injury and all that. But Lovett is a guy that has shown signs that he can move around and play different positions. So I'm not too worried about that, but I agree with you. I do think he's a much better fit in the slot. And I agree also that he gives us something at that position that we have not had since the days of Isaiah McKenzie back in 2016. He gives us explosiveness out of that slot position. And I'm not saying Lad McConkie isn't explosive. He is. He's just not as explosive as Don McLovin. Is that fair, Curtis? Yeah, and that's kind of the position I'm taking too. Yeah, like Lad is awesome. I'm not, it's not a, it's not a less rip Lad. I love Lad McConkie. He's so good for us. And he's explosive, just not like Dominic Lovett level explosive. And I think that explosiveness from the slot position has been something that we've been missing at times in our offense because, Curtis, that has become a premium position. Like, Jalen Hyatt basically ran that position all the way to the Blitnikoff Award last year because they were able to create matchups on safeties, on linebackers that simply couldn't run with the guy. And I think we're going to be able to do a lot of the same things with Dominic Lovett this year. Now, is Dominic Lovett as fast and explosive as Jalen Hyatt? 
eh, probably not, but not that far off either. But I think we can do a lot of similar things with him from that spot, create matchups, and really just make it other, other the other players in the office more effective. Make a guy like Brock, Brock Bowers, as effective as he already is, even more crazy dangerous out there. Make a guy like Lab McConkey more effective. Maybe a guy like Arian Smith as well. And I think Arian can play in the slot as well. So I'm curious. I think Arian's probably going to play more of the Z for us this year. I think he's a guy who can also move inside. And hey, man, Arian, like he was close to be on, on my list because I think if he can if he can just figure things out, dude, he, we know what kind of ability he has. But right now, Dominic Lovett has the proven production. He has the explosiveness that we've kind of been missing and lacking from that position. And I think this guy's going to have a massive year for us. I think he's going to be one of the top receivers in the entire SEC. All right, that takes us to number two, number two on our list. I think the top two guys, a lot of you can probably figure out where we're going, or at least number one. Number two might be a little bit of a surprise for some of you. Number one, like everyone knows what's up there. All right, coming in at number two, we have a guy entering his first season as a full-time starter. So this might be a little bit of a reach for us, Curse, but we both had him at number two on our list. We were unanimous with that. And that is offensive lineman Amarius Mims. Now, this might be surprising, Curtis, to some of the people out there who are kind of sitting there thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy didn't even start last year, and you're telling me that he's going to be one of the two best players on the entire Georgia football team in 2023? Well, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Um, but, Curtis, I'm going to let you explain that one first before I give my thoughts. Um, I mean, you know, it's the same recipe look at last year. Um with J- Broderick Jones, uh, you know, he had gotten a few starts the year before, which are super valuable. And then last year, I mean, the guy was an absolute weapon, um, a tank at that tackle position. I mean, first round draft pick. Yeah, first round draft pick, didn't give up a sack, was great in run game, was great in the screen game. I mean, he did everything at a high level, and I see the same recipe for Marius Mims. Now, yes, he's not going to go to left tackle, or at least that's what the idea is. But I still think that even at right tackle, he can be an incredibly valuable weapon and probably is our best offensive lineman and is going to be a game changer for us. Very well said, my friend. Uh, I'm going to ask you this. Yeah, you mentioned right tackle, not left tackle. I am I thought, though, he would get a look at left tackle, but it's pretty clear he's going to stay at right tackle. What do you make of that? Um, It's interesting. Especially because I, so I believe he I has the the athleticism, the ability to play left tackle. Personally. Exactly. So I think that's why it's surprising. Um, so I is don't it really... because you think he played there last year? Because Broderick was there at left tackle. Obviously, he was he was a first round draft pick. It made more sense for him to rotate more over there with Warren on the right side. Is just a familiarity with that position kind of thing. It could be. I don't know. I mean, Andrew Thomas was a right tackle, then became a left tackle. So you just don't know. And and, and maybe. At some point during fall camp, he does move to the left. But through spring practice, it was well, right. And here's, here's another thing. Maybe it's the other guys. Maybe they're better suited for left tackle, and sure. they don't trust him at right tackle. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I just find that interesting. Because I do think I, – I think he's an NFL left tackle. Like, I, I that's just why – that's why – see him as but I mean hey you know what I trust I defer to the coaches they know far more than I do they work with these guys every day I'm not going to criticize them I just find it kind of curious there but everything you said Curtis checks out man totally agree with you there um so this guy and those of you who might disagree with this you are right if you want to sit here and say what dude he didn't start last year I'm gonna say yeah yeah you're right but we also had a guy who was basically a third year starter at right tackle you're gonna unseat him I mean he was I do think he was better than Warren McClendon personally and I thought he should have played more. And he did play more as the season went on. Warren got hurt in the playoffs. Mims got both start, uh, got starts in both the playoff games. Played really well, right, Kurt? In both those Yeah, games. he did. He really stepped in and played well in that role. Yeah, I mean, he was not a fish out of water. Played very well. Got playing time all last year. And look, I mean, he was a guy that, when he came into college, had some work to do sharpening his game. Um, and just work habits and, and just acclimated the college game. Again, a lot of these guys, they come into college – 
and especially come from smaller schools like he did in Bleckley County, kind of just dominate because you're bigger and stronger than everybody else. And you don't really have to work as much because you're just naturally that big and strong and just bad, right? Well, you come into college and you play in the SEC in the trenches, different story. And you got to be able to work. And that took some time for him to kind of develop those work habits. And that's part of the reason why he transferred or entered the transfer portal, flirted with Florida State. Ultimately, obviously, thank God, ends up coming back. I think he's a first round draft pick. I'm very glad he's on our team this year. But he has figured those things out. And because it, it was never a talent issue. Like this guy has got the size, the athleticism. I mean, he's freaky, man. Like I think Broderick Jones was freaky. It's just, I mean, Broderick used to like do 360s and dunk the ball in basketball in high school. Like the guy was crazy athletic. But I've always kind of thought, maybe I'm wrong here. I've always felt that Marius Mims is a freakier athlete than Broderick Jones. What do you make of that, Kurt? Um, I don't know. I, I think size, size, athleticism combination. I think Mims is. I do freakier. think Mims is stronger than Broderick. Cause I think if there's one part of Broderick's game that was yeah. not the best is his strength. And I think Mims yeah. has that. I think Broderick is a, probably a better overall athlete. I would not dispute that. I just think when you factor in like the size, strength and athleticism combination, I think that makes Mims slightly freakier personally. And I could be totally wrong there. That's just my personal take on it. We'll see when he gets when it gets like NFL draft time. Um, but look, you know, look at Marius Mims and his, like he wasn't a full-time star. Was a, I mean, not even really a part-time star. He was in the rotation last year, but and we're going to go back to pro football focus one more time here today. His overall grade last year, Curtis was 77.5. Broderick Jones was 78.4. Not much of a difference there. Obviously a slightly larger, not slightly a larger sample size for Broderick. And Mims actually had a better run block grade than Broderick last year, which doesn't Surprise me again, size and strength there. I think his physical ability is off the freaking charts. I think he's absolutely a future first rounder. I really, truly believe that unless he just like completely wets the bed this year. And I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, at 6'7", 330, like he doesn't look 330 when you look at him with his frame and how he's built, but he is. He's incredibly athletic. He bends really well for a guy that tall. He can stay in front of speed rushers, did a great job in the playoffs against two big time teams. And we did not skip a beat there. In fact, I think we might have been actually been better with him out there than when, than when we were with Warren McClendon. So I believe I'm a believer, man. I know it's his first year as a full-time starter, and that might be a little bit of a, of a reach for us. But I, again, this list, we're projecting to the end of the season. I think Amarius Mims, by the end of the season, is going to situate himself as a first-round draft pick at that position, and he is going to be talked about as one of the best offensive linemen in the country. That's my opinion. That's why I have him at number two. And finally, obviously here, Curtis, no surprise anyone, the number one player on our top 10 list of the 10 best Georgia football players on the 2023 team, at least by the time the end of the season rolls around, is one Brock Bowers, tight end extraordinaire, maybe the greatest tight end in the history of tight ends, Curtis. But once again, we were unanimous on this. Um, and if either one of us had, had him ranked anywhere but number one, um, I think we probably would not deserve to be on this podcast anymore. I think that's probably fair to say. But Kurt, I don't, don't want to spend too much time on Brock because it's Brock. We know this guy. But what is it that separates Brock from other human life forms? Um, Just the versatility at a high level. Um, He's someone that can do so many different things and everything he does is always at a high level. And I think that's just what makes him such a special player and why he's known as the unicorn because he is. Yeah. I mean, he does, he just does it all. And, but here I, I agree with you there. My one thing I'll add to it is the dude has just incomparable work ethic. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's like, it's kind of become like Nick Chubb legendary among the inside the program. 
I think it's just the guy that he is. Like, he's not like you saw him at SEC media. It's like he's an introverted guy, incredibly uncomfortable there. I felt bad for him, but he kind of needs to put himself in those situations for when the NFL draft comes up. He needs to be familiar with how to how to work those situations. But he's not like a vocal leader like that. But the, everyone on that team respects him. Curtis. Like there was a who was it? Tate Ratledge and I think it was so Jordan Hall and Zion Lowe. Did you catch that clip, Curtis? I did not. They they do like a I guess it's like a it's a podcast, I guess. I don't yeah, know. What they it is. do the players lounge, and I think is what's yeah, it's the players lounge like thing. And they had a clip that was making the rounds on social media, and they were talking about Brock, and they're obviously talking about how, how he's a freak, and they're like, hey, dude, like he's like the greatest guy to ever live. Like, if you don't like Brock, like there's something wrong with you. And they're talking about how hard he works and all that kind of like, and that's Brock. To me, that's what makes him different. There's a lot of guys that are talented, and you know what? Like people want to make the, the Kyle Pitts Brock Bowers comparison. Maybe Kyle Pitts is more physically gifted. I don't know. You know, he does. He wasn't total package that Brock was in terms of like blocking, but Brock is just different because he maximizes what he has in that frame because he just works so freaking hard, man, and he has so much respect from his teammates. And to me, that's what separates Brock from everybody else. All those other tight ends, like yeah, he's super talented. Yes, of course you have to be if you're gonna be in that conversation. But there's a lot of super talented guys at that position. What makes him different? is how he works, his habits. And I think that separates him. That's me personally there. But yeah, Brock's number one, no questions asked. He's going to be the best player on the team. He's probably going to go down as the greatest tight end in the history of college football before it's all said and done. All right, Kurt, I know you got to get out of here, man. We'll get out of here real, real quick. But let's just real quick, let's do some honorable mentions. Is there anybody that did not make your list that you want to put on your list, but you just didn't have a spot for? Um, Because there's some high-profile guys that did not yeah, make this list. Yeah, I mean, list. I think you got to think about maybe some of the inside linebackers uh, with Smile or Pop. You, and you okay? So guys smile. You had him at number nine on your list. I did not have him on my list. Yeah, and I think, I think that's Which, fair. You can argue um, that I'm wrong there. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I barely had him on the list. I think he's someone that could is at least uh, honorable. And then I want to go on the D line. Someone like Brent Brentson or Stackhouse. One yeah. of those guys probably is a high honorable mention. Yeah, I had Nas Stackhouse on my list at number eight. You didn't have him on yours. I'll go back to Smile Munden real quick. I, you had him at number nine. I didn't have him on my list. Here's the reason I didn't have him on my list. I love Smile. I told you I think he's going to be a first-round draft pick. We've talked about it already. Like some people are now jumping on the train. Oh, he's better than, than, than Pop. Yeah, we've been saying that for months. That's okay. Um, but I still believe that. I, I still think he can be a first-round draft pick. The reason I didn't have Smile on my list is I'm not sure when he's going to play for us this year, Curtis. Yeah, and I think that was my hesitation too. That's my only – that's literally my only reason. It's like he – I don't know. Like he's probably going to miss some time, and I don't know how much time that's going to be. If I'm trying to project who are going to be the who are going to be the 10 best players on the team by the end of the year, I don't know where he fits in because of the injury situation. Now, if he's fully healthy, ready to go by the, by the, time, by the time the season starts, then I'll rethink my list and I'll find a place for him on my list. But right now, I couldn't do that in good conscience. I just don't know when he's going to be ready. Pop, um, Pop is really good. I just – I don't, I don't think he's the first-round guy. I don't think he's one of the 10 best players on our team. It's just that simple. Um, Nas, I do, though. I think Nas was really good for us last year. I think he had an 86.1 rush grade. Um, his overall grade was dropped because he only had 53.1 pass rush grade, but that's not what he does for us. Like, he was like he was not Jordan Davis, so not he, he's not going to be Jordan Davis this year. But I thought there might be a chance to get a big drop-off of that spot last year, and there wasn't because Nas was ready to fill in that spot and played at a really high level for us. Not Jordan Davis level, but, like, a high enough level to really help that kind of stabilize the interior of that defensive line. Uh, one more throw at you here real quick, Curtis. We'll get out of here. Kendall Milton. What do you think about that? I just have to see him healthy. That's what I, I – dude, I – again, go back to my iterations of this list. I had him on there at one point, took him off because of the, in the injury thing. But I really strongly considered him. When he was healthy last year, Curtis, the dude was good. 
He made plays, man. He made plays. Like if you, if you take out the snap minimums, his 85.8 grade last year, he was the second highest graded returning running back in the SEC if you don't take into account snap minimums last year. So when he got opportunities, the dude made plays. Now, can he stay healthy? I don't know, man. I'm crossing my fingers, dude. I really am. And that's why I wasn't on my list because you just don't know there. It's just the injury history is long. But if he can stay healthy, I think he's got a shot to be on that list by the time the end of the season rolls around. Arian Smith, last one. Anything on him? Um, same thing kind of as Kendall Milton. He guy makes big plays when he plays, but he just hasn't played enough for you to really count him in there yet. Yeah, just got to do it more consistently. If he does it more consistently, then yeah, he can make, on, make it to this list by the end of the season. But uh, all right, guys, I think that's it for us today here on the show. Before we get out of here, I do want to real quickly, as promised earlier in the show, I want to read you both my list, like my individual list and Curtis's individual list. So starting from the bottom and working our way up, Curtis had Javon Bullard at number 10, Smile Munden at number 9, Malachi Starks at 8, Kamari Lasseter at 7, Michael Williams at 6, Ladd McConkey at 5, Dominic Lovett at 4, Cedric Van Pran at 3, Amarius Mims at two, and of course, Brock Bowers at number one. I, on the other hand, had Malachi Starks at number 10, Tate Ratledge at number nine, Nazir Stackhouse at number eight. I think people were sleeping on how good he was last year. Lad McConkey at number seven, Javon Bullard at number six. At number five, I have Michael Williams, who's a guy that could I think, honestly, be a lot higher on this list by the time the season's said and done. Just conservatively right now, I have him at number five. And the guys above him, I think, are really good players. At number four, I have Dominic Lovett transferring in from Missouri. Number three, I have Carson Beck, who absolutely has to be my most controversial pick here. And I recognize that. I own that. That is 100% a major projection. But that's that's what I think of Carson Beck right now, guys. And then number two, just like Curse, out of Marius Mims. And number one, Brock Bowers. So to recap our combined list, once we put those two lists together, we had number 10, Kamari Lasseter, Carson Beck at number nine, Cedric Van Prant at number eight, Malachi Starks at number seven, Javon Bullard at number six. Then inside the top five, we had Lab McConkey at number five, Michael Williams at number four, Dominic Lovett at three, Amarius Mims at two, and of course, Brock Bowers, the greatest tight end in the history of tight ends coming in at number one who else gotta be brock so there you have it guys uh and let the bashing commence tell us what we got wrong tell us what we got right too if there's something you agree it's nice to hear that as well but i'm sure you guys will let us know what we got wrong and that's a beautiful thing again these lists are impossible they're just fun you're destined to disagree with them and the debate is of course all in good fun but thanks for being here with us today guys i think we might get a chance to sneak curtis in on one more episode before all the wedding festivities kick into high gear. But you guys know, while he's away, I got you covered. I'll hold down the fort here and get you guys ready for the 2023 football season. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>